Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And we recorded last week, Chris, at the tail end of a seven-game winning streak for the Mets. Things have not been quite as rosy since then. The Mets have lost four of their last six games, and they have lost seemingly 400 players to the injured list in that time as well. But... The Mets are not giving up. They just took two of three from the Braves in Atlanta. I have no evidence of this, but I recall somebody saying in our Amazing Avenue Slack last night that it was the first time the Mets had won a series in Atlanta in four years. I don't, I'm not going to fact check that, but that feels right to me. And even if it's not right, the Mets have historically been very, very bad when playing on the road in Atlanta. So the fact that they were able to have such a strong series, I mean, that game was lost in the ninth inning last night on a walk-off home run. But, you know, and, and I we can talk about sort of the circumstances of that in a little bit. But coming off of a seven-game winning streak, when you add it all together, they are 9-4 and four in their last, you know, uh, last 13 games. That's not a bad place to be. They're still in first place. They are... You know, they they feel like they're never really out of a game, and that's a fun place to be. But I also feel like this is an unsustainable model. So, what is sort of your general thoughts on the state of the team right now? Well, I hate to say this going into a series in Florida, but I know 
at some point over the weekend, I said to you, the Mets should just cancel their trips to Florida, forfeit the games, and and rest their players. Um, you know, that's an easy thing to to feel as a fan when <laughs> they're in the middle of a series over the weekend where they lost all three games and lost multiple players to injury, uh, particularly the game where Conforto and McNeil left the same game uh, with hamstring injuries. So, yeah, that that was no fun. Uh, but the series against the Braves was, and, uh, you know, I don't want to make excuses for everything that goes wrong, but, uh, you know, Trevor may have struggled a little bit lately. He gives up a home run the other night, but it was to Freddie Freeman. You know, I know he's given up some hard contact lately, but like it was Freddie Freeman who got him. Um, the, you know, last night the, the Mets really had the opportunity to complete a sweep despite everything that they have going on. Uh, and it was Acuna who, who got them for the walk-off. You know, sometimes those guys are going to beat you or, or come close to beating you in, in the case of the Freeman home run the other night. Um, and that's just, that's just something that's going to happen. But, and it also happened just not to interrupt you here, Chris, but just to, it also happened on the second inning of a Jacob Barnes appearance Right. And it also happened when the bullpen has pitched, I mean, not just the majority of the innings, but I mean, almost every inning in that series was pitched by a bullpen arm, it seems like, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, And so the bullpen has been so good, but also so overworked. I really can't get too worked up over it. But, you know, anyway, go on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's just, uh, I guess. With a, with the Mets in first place, I can't be anything other than optimistic, despite the reality that they're in right now. Um, they're finding ways to to get things done. The you know, obviously, piecing things together for an extended period of time would start to uh, you know unravel, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what exactly things look like over the next few days. You know, they've got a long stretch here without an off day. And, you know, they're in Miami for three. They have the Rockies at home for four. Um, as far as level of, you know, competition with, with the opposing team, uh, I'm not saying the Marlins are the, the you know, really bad team that they've typically been uh, in, in their existence, aside from one or two uh, <laughs> championship seasons. But, but I don't know, the Marlins don't strike me as the most intimidating team out there. Um, Especially because they're missing both Trevor Rogers and Sandy Alcantara. Right. So, well, you know, you're missing the, their two best pitchers as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think another thing, too, the Mets, uh, I, I believe, have the most players on the injured list, but injuries are up significantly throughout baseball. So that is something to keep in mind uh, as they go through this stretch with a bunch of guys having recently hit the injured list. Um, some guys working on getting back, and we'll, we'll talk about them in a few minutes. But yeah, you know, the, the Marlins are 19 and 23, 452 winning percentage. Uh, I guess the one nice thing I could say is technically they. They're the only team in the division that has a positive run differential, but um, I don't know. They just 
they aren't a powerhouse team. If you had to pick a team in the division to be going in with a, a significantly injured roster and a bunch of replacements uh, playing in, in a lot of the spots, uh, the Marlins and the Nationals would be the two teams in the division uh, to, that I would choose. And then sure. the Rockies are bad. The Rockies have the worst record in the National League. Um, the Mets took two or three out there. You'd love to see them take three or four or sweep them in a four-game series at home, which probably sounds like a crazy thing to say since you can really only, right now, pencil Marcus Stroman and David Peterson in as legitimate starting pitchers in in a uh, five-man rotation. <laughs> which is, again, insane. But, yeah, Taiwan Walker hitting the injured list was just like, oh, come on, you know, it... it I don't know how how many guys can have and look so far everybody's MRIs have been clean um I you know nobody's at, at the moment of this recording nobody's been slated for surgery or anything like that it, it's just a potpourri of short-term injuries or injuries that can just be rested or you know rehabbed but it's it's just kind of amazing uh, to see it unravel the way it has. So I think it's going to lead to a Thomas Zapucky start. Um, you know, they, they've skipped what would have been his turn in uh, Syracuse. And if only because, you know, it's him, Jordan Yamamoto, Joey Lucchese has really struggled in the innings the Mets have given him so far this year. So if you try to piece together the rest of a rotation, you you could do it with those three guys. Um, I, I don't see how you get through, you know, a couple of weeks with no off days if you don't give Zapucky uh, one or two starts. Um, you know, I, I'd really like to see Lucchese option to Syracuse because I do think he has, uh, you know the capability to be a useful pitcher for the Mets, but he just hasn't been. And I think the fact that, you know, you look at the series that they just played in Atlanta and Lucchese didn't get into those games, um, understandably because they were close and they were against the division rival. And even with the bullpen being absolutely maxed out in terms of workload, uh, Lucchese didn't factor into them. So, I don't know if they literally have enough arms to fill a major league staff without keeping him in the majors, but yeah. Uh, so my my slight pushback against that, and ever so slight, would be that I think I would rather see Sean Reed Foley get starts than Lucchese right now. Yeah. Because- oh, yeah. And look, I I don't think Sean Reed Foley is a long-term solution, and I don't think he's going to go seven innings. But except for the one, was it Saturday he came into the game and looked like garbage? Yeah, Uh, but that was, again, not to make an excuse for everything, but the whole game looked like garbage. (laughs) Right, yes, exactly. Like things were just spiraling out of control, and then he came in and, you know, had had his one outing with a flaw. Like, of course it happened in that game. right. The rest of, of his outings have looked really, really good. And I do not want Sean Reed Foley to be the long-term solution in the rotation. But I think 
if you're looking at everybody that you have available right now to take a rotation spot. Well, hang on. Let me back up one second. It looks like DeGrom is going to pitch, is it tonight for St. Lucie? Yeah, either today, tonight. I don't know what time their game is. Right, yeah, um, today for St. Lucie. And so, theoretically, DeGrom is back in the rotation next week. So you're probably only having to fill two openings. And then Walker should be back at the end of next week. So we're still looking at probably three starts, maybe four starts, that will be needed to to be covered before those both those guys are, are back and ready to go. Um, and if I were able to align things, I would have Yamamoto take one. I would have Reed Foley take one. I'd have Sabucky take one. Because none of those guys are going to give you enough innings to rest a bullpen at all. And David Peterson has shown that he cannot... Like, if there's ever a game that you really, really wanted to ride your starting pitcher out, it was yesterday. The Mets needed bullpen rest, and Peterson couldn't do it. So to me, you cannot go with another bullpen game until they get one or two starters back just because the bullpen's going to be so used in all the other games. So that would be sort of my uh, choice, and I think that because you're using Reed Foley, you could maybe then option Lucchese, give him a week or two in the minors to figure his shit out because something's not right there. And, uh, you know, I to, uh, th- yeah, I, I think that that's probably the best way to go um do you have any disagreement with that no no it, it, you know i think it, it makes me think back to the most recent conversation that we had with ted berg where you know he was expressing this desire to see teams use pitchers in the way that helps the the pitcher and therefore the team the most and not just go with a conventional five starters relievers setup um this is completely happening out of necessity. Clearly, the Mets didn't choose to abandon the concept of a starting rotation. But <laughs> but you can – I don't know. There's some freedom in it. So you can you can pick and choose. And, you know, if you go with the guys that, that you mentioned, you can – you know, you can roll out an opener, maybe even two relievers, uh, you know, to start the game – as we've seen the Mets doing a little bit here with Drew Smith, Miguel Castro, Tommy Hunter have all pitched early in games recently and, and they've done well. Um, it's nice to see that kind of flexibility. I think it, it plays into making this team so much fun. You know, obviously winning games is, is the most fun part of anything uh, in baseball, whether you're a player or a fan, but just seeing some of these guys go out and and adapt to these roles. And I know it's not Edwin Diaz opening a game. Uh, you know, I know it's not Trevor May opening a game. Those those guys are still being held on to to finish games. But uh, I don't know. I haven't heard anybody's disgruntled with their role uh, or anything. You know, no, and I Tommy Hunter seems like he's having the most fun of his entire career. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, his shimmy the other night was great. And honestly, I think uh, retiring Acuna and scoring a run in the same game. It doesn't make you Shohei Otani, um, you know, but for like a minute. It's a, it's just you, you get like 
Otani of of the inning award uh, for <laughs> did for scoring. His, a... Did you see his post game conference? By the way, yeah, I or at least clips of it. I didn't, I didn't see the whole thing, but I did see some of the video that was posted after. And you know, he he was fully aware. Uh, you know, he was giddy and fully aware. He's like, I you know, I've been like this since I since I got to first base. Uh, and you know that that's great. Especially for a guy who started his career as a starter, albeit on an American League team. Right. But still, this is somebody who has been around long enough that you would think he would have maybe gotten a hit. Uh, so, yeah, that that was pretty great. And it's nice that when you have somebody who I think on paper, you know, if you develop the ideal Mets bullpen for the 2021 season uh, for opening day, Tommy Hunter might not be in it, but you know, that guy comes in, he gets his shot. He's, he's produced and he's a lot of fun and likable. That goes a long way, you know, toward having positive feelings about the team. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And so I think that, you know, like we said, trying to avoid a bullpen game at all costs would be a great thing just because they are going to be used elsewhere. Um, you know, and, and like we said, DeGrom is not far from returning. Walker seems like he'll be back as soon as he can, essentially. We also have, it looks like the imminent return of J.D. Davis probably this weekend. I know you are going up to Syracuse tonight to watch the game and take some photos for the site, and you'll be seeing Davis there. We presume he'll be in the lineup tomorrow in Miami or at least Saturday in Miami. Um, is there anybody else that you think is, is closer to returning than not? Um, hold on. Let's let's review the injured list. It's kind of long. Kevin Pilar's <laughs> face is broken, so not him for a while. Right. He. I mean, based on his approach, I could see like – Day eleven, you know, ten days on the IL. Day eleven, he's he's activated and ready to go. Um, but it's just that there's so many. I mean, Syndergaard isn't imminent, right? Well, yeah, I guess looking for guys who who might be back the soonest: Degrom, Seth Lugo, um. Who else? I mean, you hope with Walker that it's similar to DeGrom, where it's, you know, okay, you know, tightness, no significant injury. 
Um, he can return relatively soon. We haven't heard anything on Guillaume really, other than that his um, oblique situation has has not really improved yet. Uh, those things can take a while. McNeil and Conforto, obviously, I wouldn't expect back anytime soon. I don't think we've heard anything about Almora, um, other than he avoided significant head injury when he ran into the wall, which was good news, obviously. Uh, and Nimmo had a setback where he you know, got into a rehab game and then quickly got out of rehab games and is just with the team and sort of waiting, you know, waiting for things to heal. So, yeah, I don't, I, DeGrom and then Lugo and Syndergaard, they might be the soonest ones back. Carlos Carrasco is not doing any, anything other than playing catch, which is a big step back from, you know, pitching multiple innings and simulated games, uh, from about a month ago. So, yeah, it's it, it's dicey. I also don't know how Syracuse gets through nine innings because I, they've got a couple guys on the COVID IL. Um, Sam McWilliams and uh, Stephen Tarpley, I think, both. So, so both of them were put on the uh, COVID IL, right. which you don't need a test or even con- like uh, exposure to be put onto. Right. So I wonder how much of that is just giving them a rest and letting the Mets use their 40-man spots. Yeah, no, it, it could definitely be a little roster manipulation. Uh, uh, it we could be mention, they got the vaccine. Yes, it could be the vaccine. That That is true. We should mention that the reason they have to um, – we may they may have to manipulate the roster is that they had needed to add someone to the forty man yesterday, who is Cameron Mabin, who made his Mets debut after being traded for the day before. Uh, did you hear exactly how much the Mets paid for him? Yes. How $1. much was that, Chris? One dollar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that about tells you what I think of Cameron Mabin as a Met. Although yesterday he did he almost did something that was really fun, which is that he struck out, but the ball got away from the catcher, so he reached on first, then he stole second, and then a wild pitch got in the third. So he almost scored after a strikeout, which is always a really fun uh, you know, thing to happen in a baseball game. Um but you know, as depleted as the Mets bullpen is, their outfield is similarly depleted. You know, uh, last night Pete Alonso's wrist was bark wrist was barking, so Dom Smith played first, which meant that the outfield was uh, <laughs> Cameron Maven, <laughs> Janeshwi Vargas, and um, uh, Khalil Lee. Which yikes, folks! Yeah. <laughs> Khalil Lee has made. A hell of an impression on uh, on defense. He has He's gotten some balls that, uh, no disrespect to Michael Conforto, but he would not have gotten to them. <laughs> so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, he also looks like he can't make contact with a major league pitch, which is maybe something that uh, he'll get a chance to work on a little bit more in AAA uh, when you know if and when the roster gets healthy. Um. But yeah, that is that is a hell of a starting outfield for a major league team in May. Yeah, yeah, and they almost won the game. Like that's 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 what's so fun about this team right now is that they are staying in games. They are doing the they're doing small smart things to make them a better team. 
they're really a lot of fun to watch. It's just great googly moogly. Can someone not get hurt for once? Um, I mean, if, right. if Alonzo is hurt, I mean, look, he hasn't been tearing the cover off the ball, right? It's not like they're relying on the strength of Pete Alonso right now. But I don't know how long you can run that outfield out there for. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh I don't know. I mean, Cameron Mabin, to, to his credit, uh, seems like a, a likable player. I, I didn't realize how well he performed for the Yankees in 2019 uh, in, in a similar role where, you know, he was not plan A for a starting outfielder for them, but he contributed. He, he hit very well. Um, definitely a l- little bit of an outlier when you look at his whole career. He's not typically been that productive a hitter, but, you know, it, it was not that long ago. He's 34, so, that, you know, he was 32 with the Yankees. Um, maybe he can piece some stuff together. Uh, because if you just look at his AAA stats from this year, uh, which is where he had spent the season to start, uh, they're not good. <laughs> but, you know, he, he stole a base last night uh, that led to a situation that ultimately was frustrating because James McCann uh, can't hit a fucking like, baseball. <laughs> <laughs> looks like half the hitter he was over the last two years no, at no, best. No, 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 no. He looks like half the hitter he was when he was a backup. He looks like a quarter of the hitter he was over the last two years. Yeah, yeah. So galoof, man. This is just but, rough. But yeah, no. I mean, when you're when you're in a spot like the Mets are right now, any little thing that a guy can add definitely helps. You know, without Khalili and right field playing that defense, uh, they might not have had any shot late in the game for James McCann to pop up. Um, <laughs> Literally, you know, all I, he needed to do was put the ball in play, except exactly where he put the ball in play. Right. Yeah. In the air, 50, 75 feet deeper. You can at least send Maven there, you know, on, make the Braves, make right. a throw. On the ground in a, in a proper spot. Right. Could have, could have scored the run, but no. Yeah. Pop up. To the infield. Uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, that, that little stuff like that. Lee's defense, maybe stealing a bag in a big spot. Um, you just got to take what you what you can get. Um, you know, there, there's a part of you, or at least for me, that feels bad for some of these guys. Wilfredo Tovar gets added back to the active roster uh, earlier this week as, as yet another injury happened. And... Uh, He's going to be designated for assignment maybe tomorrow, if not, probably very soon after that. We know that. He knows that. The Mets know that. It's just a weird thing, like, for for the person. You know, obviously, we want the best players on the roster at any time. We want the Mets to win games. But it's just a weird thing for that guy to be with the organization that he spent almost a decade with in the minor league system. Uh spending his time in, in AAA, getting called up, probably be DFA'd uh, fairly soon. And I would guess he probably won't get claimed, but you never know. He could. And that, that's just a weird 
quirk uh, of, of baseball life that, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm that guy. And now I'm looking for a place to live in some, you know, wherever the AAA affiliate of, of some other organization is. Um, simply because the Mets needed a, a body who could play a few positions in the infield if somebody else got hurt. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, just just a weird matter of circumstance. And the the way injuries are right now, I, I would not be opposed to Major League Baseball making an in-season change to say – I don't know, something uh, to the effect, you know, they made an exception for COVID specific, which is, you know, as we referred to a few minutes ago, the roster manipulation potential there. Uh, guys on the COVID IL don't count against the 40 man roster limit. And if injuries stay anywhere near this pace, it seems to me that players on the 10 person IL maybe shouldn't count against that limit or, or just something where you're providing a little more stability for teams and players as you know as things play out this way i think i saw injuries th- you know pl- just number of players placed on at least the 10 day il from the start of the season until a couple days ago was double this year yep what it had been in 2019 at the same time that that's insane it's almost unthinkable how many players have hit the IL. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's just, it is totally unlike anything we've seen before. Right. Mike Trout joined the ranks of the IL, and not that he's never been on before, but th- he's an overwhelmingly healthy player um, who's now looking at, uh, I think they said a six to eight week recovery. That's a significant amount of time. Uh, and we we know muscle injuries and and six week timetables don't always turn out that way. Um, it's just the effects of twenty twenty are are fully on display. I, yeah. I think there just is not a substitute for game speed over the course of a long season. Even the minor league season being shorter than the major league season is still long, and. To go an entire year without that, I, I just I, I don't think any any athlete is uh, able to just turn it up even after a full spring training and and have you know normal results, normal recovery, norm, all that stuff. Uh, you know, time time in the gym or time any you know just working out alone just isn't a baseball game. Yeah, that's as well said. Um, all right, so we talked about all the injuries. We talked about folks maybe coming back. Um, we talked about the misery that was the Tampa Bay series. I, I think we're just about caught up. Uh, any any specific thoughts about the team going forward, aside from how, how starting pitching is going to work out? Is there anything, like, for instance... I think a lot of us thought the Mets would be trading for maybe a Chris Bryant midseason. Looking at the way the roster is constructed now, do you think there's any position that the Mets really need to start, you know, seeking out before uh, before too long? Well, I mean, I if everybody's healthy is is like the biggest disclaimer in pitching, but. 
There's a way that if everybody's healthy, David Peterson gets bumped from the rotation at some point this year. Um, but I don't know. It wouldn't hurt if another team, especially a team that's out of it, had just a you know solid major league starter uh, who was available. You know, I'm not I'm not saying give up multiple high end prospects for Scherzer, who's on the last year of his contract with the Nationals, um, or anything uh, like that. I mean, obviously, if they wanted to give him away, of course, sure, that would that'd be great, but. <laughs> uh, Having another arm or two, especially seeing how this is all gone, um, it couldn't hurt. So, you know, I I think Francisco Lindor is going to get very hot and consistent as a hitter as the season goes on at some point. I know it hasn't happened yet. I know everybody would love to see it happen from day one. But I do think he's going to be fine. Um and I think that can go a long way to help the offense. And I don't know. I, I, pitching just seems like the thing that is the, the most pressing need, if only because you need the quantity of it. And, and we expected that coming into the year that, you know, we said multiple times that <clears throat> we we have to imagine that pitchers aren't going to be able to throw 200 innings consistently. Um, with, with the long layoff of full seasons, so right, yeah. If there's any like number three, four types out there who wouldn't cost much, I mean, obviously it'll it'll be more than a dollar to uh, <laughs> to get somebody of that caliber. But I don't know. I think that's where my biggest desire would be, and then obviously Chris Bryant himself, if the Cubs get to that point that they really want to move him um he'd be a nice player to have he's he's been one of the better hitters in baseball this year yeah i'm not sure but, if he's if his availability will be what it was uh, in the offseason because of how good he's been this year like it might take way more to get him yeah yeah the only thing is that we know that the player team relationship with between the cubs and bryant is is pretty bad over service time manipulation and you right. know his grievance and all that. Um, so I, you know, maybe they decide to hold on to him and just see him go after declining a qualifying qualifying offer after this season. But if they decide that they'd rather get somebody uh, and, and dump salary for you know for the second half he'd be a nice addition to have. And if that makes J.D. Davis a bench player, that's fine. Right. And and with the way that um, with the way the injuries have gone this year, J.D. Davis might want to be in the left fielder as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, it's possible that that's where he makes his return, uh, you know, this weekend. If Alonzo is still dealing with the wrist thing and Dom is playing first. You can make an argument that uh VR at third, Peraza at second, Davis and left is your best defensive configuration. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Peraza too. Yes. By the way. Who, who thought that guy would be as good as he's been for the Mets? 
Yeah, no, he he's made a bunch of nice plays at second base. Um, hits. Yeah, you know, it's weird. There's there's several of these guys who are bench players who I, when I look, I'm like, all right, he's got a 70 WRC plus, but he's been good. <laughs> right. You know, I I don't know. He before that game went south on Saturday, it started off very well. Peraza hits a three run home run. Alonzo hits a bomb. You know, things were feeling pretty good. Um, and then that game obviously went in a, in a very different direction. But yeah, yeah. And look, hey, if the Mets are a defense first team and and doing that well. At least they have that going for them. Yes. Um, if you had a bunch of replacements who are playing poor defense and hitting the way that these guys are, it would be absolutely miserable to watch. I guess that's the, the they're doing enough good things that you know they're in first place and they're doing those things. That to me is still an interesting team to watch, and and it's a temporary solution. Obviously, I want to see uh, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Lugo, Nimmo, Conforto, Alonzo, uh, you know, Carrasco, uh, all of them out there regularly. But for now, that this will do. You know, I like I like the bench mob mentality. I regret saying anything bad about Tomas Nito over yes. the offseason. Agreed. At all. My concerns were with the wrong catcher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Nito is going to be starting half the games, if not more, yeah. very, very shortly. Yeah, no, especially if he continues to to hit and hit in big spots. Um, and I do think McCann will be better than this. It's it's almost hard not to be. And I know he's gotten a lot of credit for his work with the pitching staff. Uh, it's nice that he can throw runners out. That is that is definitely something that's come in handy. Um, I mean, he made a great play last night. When uh, Dansby Swanson regrettably tried to steal third uh, in the eighth inning, I guess it was or seventh inning, maybe um, he made a great play. So yeah, his his throwing is not has not been the problem. It's everything else. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, we're gonna pause right now. I chatted with Eli Sussman of Fish Stripes to talk about the upcoming Mets Marlins series. So let's take a listen. Okay, I am joined by Eli Sussman of Fish Stripes, the SB Nation Miami Marlins site. How you doing, Eli? I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, I'll say that for sure. Uh, following this team and having a full-length season and heading into this weekend against the Mets, um, for some reasons that we'll discuss, it's perhaps the most highly anticipated series so far. So very excited okay. to have this going and to be on your show, of course. Well, let's start there. Why do you think this is the most anticipated series so far of the year for the Marlins? I'd say probably most of it doesn't actually have to do with the Mets in particular, but on <laughs> a fr on Friday is going to be the reveal. Well, we've already had the reveal on Monday of these City Connect uniforms that they came out with that um, kind of itched at a scratch that the fans have been pleading to, to have for a couple of years now, have a... When they rebranded the team a couple of years ago, they went with a red, blue, black, but they didn't, they didn't have a single uniform set that was 
primarily red and uh, really like hit you in the face and really bold. And they finally took that step with these special edition uniforms that they'll be wearing all weekends. So those were pretty well received. The connections they have to the Cuban community, very well received. Uh, the players seem to be embracing it. So that's a lot of energy. They tied it into Saturday is going to be the Cuban Heritage Night at the ballpark. And I'm sure that the crowd there, at least by Miami standards, you know, the crowds are never quite the same as they are uh, for the Mets and for a lot of these other teams. But by our standards, for sure, I, I imagine the crowd is going to be more lively than at any other time so far this year. Um, I mean, selfishly, I have some of my staff members that are credentialed for those games. And so they'll be there uh, documenting everything and making sure to like soak it all in as best they can. And uh, I, I mean, I guess on top of all that, we feel like we're like playing the Mets at a somewhat vulnerable time where they'll actually have a chance to at least win one game out of the series, if not take the entire series at some point. Well, I mean, you mentioned a vulnerable point. The Mets have been absolutely decimated by injuries this season, especially the last week or 10 days. Um, do you feel like the Marlins have somewhat avoided the National League East's horrible injury bug thus far? I know there's been a couple of players put on the IL, right? But it hasn't been nearly to the level of like Philadelphia or Atlanta or New York. There was one really sour period. I guess you'd have to put it at the end of April when Sixto Sanchez was uh, mm -hmm. already without a timeline to return. A big question about him. They lost another depth starting pitcher in Eliezer Hernandez, who only now is finally nearing a return from rehab after being out over a month. But uh, in late April, that's when they lost Starling Marte. That's when they lost Jazz Chisholm for a mm -hmm. few weeks. Uh, so in that moment, I'd say Jazz and Starling Marte were the two most important position players that the entire team had. So to have them both go out at the same time, it um, it brought even it magnified a lot of the issues that they were already having offensively. And those issues even now are still kind of dicey uh, because they're continuing to miss Starling Marte. Um, but I think every single any team that you follow at one moment, it will feel overwhelming, but I constantly remind people to take the larger picture and to see what's happening with all these other teams, the Mets included, that I think that's correct in saying that overall compared to these other teams in the division, they've been more fortunate. Um, it's just the way the schedule has lined up. They just haven't actually played very many games in the division to this point in the season as well. So uh, I guess this is one opportunity um, this entire week, first against the Phillies and then coming up against the Mets where they do get to get these teams at a time when they have questions at other positions. But, uh, but overall, I I'd say that uh, the way that the schedule played out, it, it doesn't lean much one way or the other in terms of injuries actually having a big impact on how the season has gone so far. So you think that the Marlins would have more or less the same record right now if they had been healthier? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just don't see a whole lot of, there've, there've been some one run games, um, especially early in the year that uh, I, I, I guess you could, I think that you just chalk them up more to bad luck than having like a deficit of talent. There sure. was um, some confusion initially about exactly how to best use these relievers in the right role. That's something that Don Mattingly has been very rigid about through the years where he's sometimes too late to make adjustments on that. Or um, just in the beginning of the year, they suffered a couple big, big losses with Anthony Bass as their closer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took a little while, perhaps longer than people would have liked for them to correct that. Um, and to this point, uh, aside from this past Tuesday's game, which was uh, probably the worst meltdown of the season in the later innings, for the most part, their bullpen has actually been a surprising, pleasant surprise for them. Um, they're, 
I, I think overall, this is more or less the team that, that I was expecting moving forward. Um, there've been some overachievers, I guess the one that has really blown past anybody's expectations, even those that were very optimistic is jazz Chisholm jr. Mm-hmm. Who at, at this point is yeah. With, especially with Starling Marte still hurt jazz is the key to so much of what they do. And uh, so the fact that his injury wasn't quite as serious as feared at one point, and now he's ready back and at full strength, that there really aren't that many excuses, especially at moving forward, that things seem they're in decent shape, all things considered. I mean, I think that one of the surprises for me, and maybe this is just my ignorance to the Marlins roster has been the emergence of Trevor Rogers. I mean, he, he basically outpitched Jacob deGrom the first uh, series the Mets and, and fish had together and his stuff was electric. He was composed. I think his ERA is still like 1.9 or maybe a little bit less than that. You know, He's looking great. How do you how do you feel about Trevor going forward? We love Trevor. Um, he's a fascinating guy because he made his debut last year a little ahead of schedule. Certainly, I mean, he he had look at his minor league track record, and he only had one season that was even close to a full year, just because of the way they brought him along. And the plan was not to have him up last year, but he's someone that I think you could see this coming a little bit because he made, by all accounts, very big strides last summer at their alternate training site. Uh, Everybody raved about the improvements that he was making, even though he didn't have the stats to prove it because you didn't have minor league games going on that I think the like they were pretty transparent about how excited everybody in the organization was for him and people that worked alongside him even before his debut. And um, it was last year, he had that ERA North of six, but it was the most impressive six ERA pitcher I'd ever seen for any stretch of time. Like it was all, all the underlying stats kind of backed it up. Uh, But what you saw with your eyes is that his stuff from the left side, there are, you could probably count on one hand, the number of left-handed starting pitchers that, have as much potential as he does. It's that simple. He does everything you love. He's got three plus pitches. Well, I'd say his changeup might be a plus plus pitch and his fastball and yeah. slider are just, they're just pretty great and not <laughs> at that same unstoppable level, but he throws strikes, um, especially his command with his fastball. The way he is constantly on the corners with that pitch is awesome. He has just this unusual length and the stride that he gets off the mound and his delivery, his release point, I should say, is just so difficult to pick up that even though the measurables on his stuff are pretty good, it plays even more difficult um, when you actually see it. And so, I mean, the final hint that this was coming is his spring training and you don't want to read too much into spring training stats, but again, this was, this was just even beyond the stats. You could see what he was doing. Um, I mean, the last kind of step that he took forward in the spring was with his slider, which um, was not a great pitch for him last year. And he was throwing it uh, probably more. He was experimenting with it in, in the spring. He was throwing it even more than he would in actual situations just to make sure he was, he trusted it and to make sure it moved the way that he wanted to. And you could measure it and actually see that he had some extra spin on that pitch that he did not have last year. And it was moving better and it was breaking later than it had last year. You you add it all together. And I just don't see there's, I don't see any situation where he's not a premier strikeout pitcher. And he has all these other ingredients that makes him stick as a starting pitcher. So yeah, we're thrilled with him uh, even more so than jazz because of the time that jazz missed uh, Trevor right. Rogers probably at this point has the more complete case. If you're talking about NL rookie of the year, and that's a, 
a race that we always pay close attention to on fish stripes, just because for the longest time, the team was not competitive um, for right. a better part of two decades. So <laughs> we always focus on the individual and the young guy that potentially could be the cornerstone of the team moving forward every single year, even if they don't have a real candidate, it's something that we played paid very close attention to. And he's someone that has uh, understandably been top of mind uh, every step of the way this year. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at the Marlins going forward, there's so much talent there. And I've been saying this for years, but what happens is, you know, the talent comes up and then unfortunately they're traded away. And then, you know, but this team seems like there's maybe, and again, maybe this is just my ignorance as a Mets fan. It seems like this team has maybe the most raw talent on it that they've had in half a decade, five, six years. Does that sound about right to you? What's tricky is that the the top talent that they had just a few years ago was as good as anybody in baseball when they had Giancarlo Stanton and mm -hmm. Yelich and Ozuna and Jose Fernandez all at the same time that uh, right. I think to this point, there's not yet that one guy that is definitely on an MVP Cy Young level. Maybe Trevor gets there. Maybe Jazz gets there. Maybe Sixto Sanchez gets there when he gets healthy. That uh, It's very different. I feel like overall, though, that this is preferable, that this is a better team construction all the way through the organization than they had a few years ago. And I, I think to this point, a lot of people that actually root for the Marlins have come around to that, that this is more sustainable, that there are for as exciting as these guys are at the major league level. Um, we're now two plus weeks into the minor league season. And the enthusiasm for that is kind of off the charts that a lot of the recent draft picks the Marlins have made uh, these past few years since the rebuild Again, that those draft picks are off to a flying start in the minors, and you're already like envisioning exactly when they'll be getting the call up. Um, I, I'm guys that are just really, yeah, exceptional. Not just ones that you were you necessarily jumped out at you when they initially joined the organization, but the kind of improvements that they made. I mean, this is something that the organization definitely missed out on before this, this reorg is that you just didn't see guys get better at every stage of their development. You didn't see them add different abilities and well rounds their skill set like they would run into. You had some guys that just had the talent to transcend all that, but the actual developments improvements that they've made in this organization are so apparent already, even, even as the team at the major league level is still at best, like an average team that you could definitely see it coming uh, a breakthrough coming that relatively soon. It's uh, it's yeah. It's, like I said, at the top, uh, it's having a lot of fun doing this, even though um, yeah, we know that there's still a good ways to go. Well, let's talk about that ways to go. When do you feel as a, you know, talking to you, I have to say, you know, I've read your work for a couple of years now, but it's refreshing. I think sometimes people who cover a team every day just think that the team is like a lucky and for any team is a lucky breakaway from the World Series. Right. But you, you, you seem very measured in your in your approach here. So when do you as a measured fan think we're going to get close to the Marlins being at the top of the division? Well, this is a cop out, but it so much depends on what type of financial leash the ownership gives the team to spend. Um, we feel like they're in great hands with Kim Ang as their general manager mm -hmm. and the way that she has really gelled with everybody that was already in the organization. That's what was so unusual this past offseason is that they get rid of Michael Hill, who had such a long tenure at the top of their baseball operations, but they kept essentially everybody else. And to have her like step in and seem to be on the same page with everybody is very encouraging. Um, but she had a very quiet first offseason. And I think it's fairly obvious that one reason why is that she just did not have um, the 
consent of ownership to make certain acquisitions that, mm-hmm. I mean, overall their payroll this year is even lower than it was in 2018 or 2019, or how it's even lower than it was projected to be heading into the 2020 full season. And there were pretty apparent holes that have kind of reared their heads at this point. It was one of the obvious things that they failed to address was uh, the back end of their starting rotation that even though they, they love what they have, um, with Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, and when Sixto gets healthy that, I mean, internally they have all these guys that could theoretically put together one of the deepest rotations in baseball, but they, there were so many candidates out there that you could have had on a one-year guaranteed major league deal. And like again and again and again, they missed out on that. And I feel that's an area that may have come back to bite them during this early portion of the year. Um, Offensively, um, they, Overall, Adam Duvall has been pretty solid, all things considered, but he's a guy that was pretty far down on the list of available corner outfielders this past offseason. They they passed on younger guys uh, with really more well-rounded offensive skill sets. It seemed like they settled again in that department that um, there, there needs to be a pretty big change in ownership commitment for them to actually keep pace with the rest of this division. That's the bottom line, because even if they feel really confident in some of these these key cornerstone players being um, reaching their full potential uh, that you're still going to need to spend money to build depth at other positions. You'll still need, um, and for whatever it's worth, you need certain intangibles on your roster as well to, to bring those veterans in um, that, I mean, every single championship team or every single, even like perennial playoff team, they, they have those veterans that everybody can point to as ones that are a great influence on everybody else. So that costs money um, with this team already. Some of these quote unquote young guys are finally going to be arbitration eligible this upcoming year. So if this team is simply willing to expand their payroll, they'll get to keep those guys. Um, and at this point, there's really no excuse not to spend because they finally got their television deal squared away. Something that mm-hmm. I'm not sure Mets fans are aware of is that Marlins have the worst local television yep. situation in all baseball uh, until just this year. I mean, this year they finally, um, by all reports, added probably 20 to 25, maybe $30 million in extra revenue above what they were getting under their old deal. Wow. Um, and they finally got naming rights to their stadium, no longer called Marlins Park, uh, Lone Depot Park uh, moving forward. That's an extra couple million dollars a year that they they finally – they've subjected themselves to a lot of teasing for that choice of sponsor. But, I mean, clearly they felt it was a priority to get that money into the organization. Mm-hmm we'll need to see how much of that actually goes directly towards payroll, because even though they've done such a good job with this rebuild, I think by all accounts, even now graduating some guys through the majors, it's still one of the better farm systems in baseball that you, you always need more. And I, for this team, uh, really the one consistent um theme I'd say for this team all four years now since that rebuild began is they just don't have enough offense. They do not have enough of these really, a combination of both power and on base. Like they just don't have very many guys that do both. And mm-hmm. they have some guys that do one of the two, or they do both for a limited amount of time and are just too streaky that those guys are naturally very expensive when you acquire them, acquire them on the open market, or you need to give up a lot of um, young talent to trade for them. And, and so far this team has been very reluctant to make any of those big splashes that, uh, so to answer your question, I'd say that, 
potentially they could be at the top of this division as soon as next year if they are super aggressive about it. Um, my hunch is that more, re- more realistically, we're looking at 2023 and beyond. And that's frustrating because, you you know, we don't need to uh, go over the Jeffrey Loria uh, saga that was there for Marlins ownership for so long. When this ownership group came in, I think there was optimism that they were going to start operating a little bit more like how a model franchise should operate. And while they have, like you said, the rebuild has been fantastic. There's just, there's this frustration when, like you said, just a couple of million dollars here and there. I think that team would be easily in the top three in the division, just, just based on projections, not based on dice falling the right way, or just, just based on talent, they'd be, they'd be way up there. And I think that now they're, like you were saying before about the teams from a couple of years ago, I think that the high-level talent is as good as any other team's high-level talent, but because there's not the depth there, they just don't get to project as highly. So let's not depress ourselves anymore talking about ownership because you know Mets fans have dealt with bad ownership for a long time. This is the first yeah, year we have sure. anything resembling normal ownership uh, for ourselves. But what are you looking for the team to do this weekend? What do you think the Marlins can do against the Mets? Is there a particular player or combination of players you think are going to have uh, you know, a, a good weekend. I know I'm very happy that Rodgers is pitching today, which means we right. probably won't see him this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe on Sunday? Do the Marlins have an off day tomorrow? Well, I mean, as we're reporting this, he'd be on short short rest if he appeared on Sunday, and that's not going to happen. Okay, um, good. You're missing, I, missing. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah, well, the Met, no, the Mets are fortunate with how that lines up, missing both Trevor and Sandy Alcantara. And Sandy is coming off actually his worst outing of his entire career against mm-hmm. the Dodgers. Uh, but for that makes me all the more confident that he'll bounce back in his very next outing. However, that's going to come against the Phillies on Thursday, not against the Mets. Mm-hmm. So you dodge those two guys. And even though the Marlins have these rotation reinforcements coming, this is still a very vulnerable time. One of these games, I think the Sunday game will probably be Cody Poteet, who is making his third career start. And he's been, he's flashed some interesting stuff in his first two outings. The upside though, isn't quite as high as with some of these other pitchers, um, especially his combination of inexperience and, um, good control but not necessarily pinpoint command he's like a pretty typical back end of the rotation guy but pablo lopez will be in this series um i i'm a big fan of pablo's consistency there's really rarely any one outing where he totally dominates a game you see a lot of games where he goes seven innings one run allowed six and two thirds two runs allowed that he he's really consistent for the most part um just because of the way he he's such a cerebral pitcher and he does have excellent command and control and his signature changeup has taken even another step forward this year he is leaning into it as much as any pitcher in baseball leans on their changeup to uh, get through his outings uh, so i think pablo could have a good start which would probably be that saturday game as it looks like um I mean, the obvious guy to talk about on the position player side is Jazz Chisholm Jr. And you could see it even during his rehab assignment that uh, it was only a three game rehab assignment, but probably in the first ending of the first game, he was like showing things that made you believe that he was ready to go right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they So they held him out a few weeks, but he seems to be exactly the same dynamic player that he was before his injury. And uh, so he's someone that uh, for what it's worth, he does thrive off having fans and that atmosphere more so than anybody else on this team. Uh, so I think he, he's an easy guy to circle here as someone that will have 
a big series. Uh, Garrett Cooper is an interesting name to keep an eye on. He's been on the opposite ends of the spectrum. He's been their biggest disappointment for the first quarter of the season, but he finally started to pick it up on this long road trip that they're just completing. Um, and he was arguably their most consistent hitter last year when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so much raw power to all fields. And when he's going right, he takes his fair share of walks as well. Um, he's in a weird spot. Uh, that, that That's a long tangent about how the Marlins would, he's a big loser. The fact that there's no DH in the national league that has really cut into his playing time. But anytime he does get on the field, he has the power to go deep. Um, and he, yeah, he just seems to be finally hitting his stride over the last like week, week and a half. So Garrett Cooper could have some key moments in this one. And, uh, and Brian Anderson is kind of in the same boat as Garrett Cooper, where he's been, he had a minor injury, really slow start to the season, but I mean, his whole track record prior to 2021, he's such a consistently good all around player. And, um, defensively, he just seems to be getting better and better. Um, one of my biggest takeaways from this first quarter of the season is that I think he's very quickly like ascending up that list of best defensive third baseman, not named Matt Chapman. I think everybody outside of Matt <laughs> Chapman, he is uh, Brian Anderson is kind of at that level. All of a sudden he makes all the plays defensively um, even when he's not hitting the ball. Well, but he's finally uh, that good sign. I guess it's kind of a cliche that when you're finally using the opposite field as a, as a slumping right. hitter, that that's a sign that you're finally seeing the ball. Well, and you're finally um, like just getting what the pitcher gives you and what the defense gives you that he's kind of just like Garrett Cooper. He's finally digging out of this early slump um, I, I, so I would trust him a lot to have a big impact in all facets of the game as long as, as yeah, as long as he keeps it up what he's been doing recently. Well, that's that's good to hear because I, I, I like it when the National League East is competitive and I like it when it's not what it's been the first few weeks of the season um, in terms of the teams just not performing. So I'm hoping the Marlins have a good rest of the season. You know, maybe not this weekend, but I'm hoping for the rest of the season for the Marlins. Um, last question before I let you go. Is there somebody in the Marlins minor league system that you think when we have this conversation in 2024 is going to be like the stud of the organization who you think is going to be the big star? The easy answer is JJ Blade. Um, but I will, the more fun answer just based on what we've seen in these early weeks of the minor league season is Jesus Sanchez, who has been arguably the, the best hitter in all of minor league baseball through these first few weeks of the season he is a very uh, unusual top prospect in that his results in the high minor league levels until this year I've never really been there he's someone that has been valued for his all-around tools and his potential to put all together but um, there's there's a lot of jazz chisholm in him except that he is an outfielder a different position but uh, it checks a lot of the same boxes as an offensive player with um, his despite struggling at the major league level last year um, he's, he's knocking on the door really hard, um, as we're recording this. So I feel like he'll already get a chance to really establish himself later this year. And, uh, by the time we get to 2024, you said, um, that he could be finally moving into his prime, uh, at this point, I think 23 years old. So he'd be 26 once sure. that gets here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, the first name that comes to mind would be Jesus Sanchez, just because, as I said, this organization is really thirsty for having more uh, deeper lineup and just having more 
offensive answers right now. And they're being held together by a lot of these veteran outfielders that, you know, don't have much of a future in the organization. Right. So JJ Day, their former first round pick, he's the guy that they expect to fill one of those spots moving forward, beginning very soon. And, but of all their other options, Jesus Sanchez is the one that has a really high ceiling. His it's fun. It's so much fun to watch him hit. It's so much fun to watch him in the batter's box. This is an unfair comparison, but just watching his mannerisms in there, it's a lot of Juan Soto in, in him. Um, he's, I, I don't expect him to have the same type of career. Um, I don't think the, the, uh, the, the plate discipline necessarily is going to be there, but pretty much outside of the plate discipline, that's a pretty big one, but outside of that, he, yeah, he has all the tools and he has the personality for sure. So that that's going to be my guy. All right. Well, where can folks find you individually online and what should they check out of fish stripes? They can find me at, uh, on Twitter at real Eli that's E L Y at the end. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty immersed in uh, everything we do at fish stripes for the most part. I operate our, our fish stripes main account, which is pretty critically acclaimed for what we do over there. Uh, but we have our own pretty big, uh, I, I actually, I listen to your podcast quite a bit. Um, but we oh, have our, yeah, we have our own, uh, as well. Not, not quite all the same high profile guests. I, I know you guys had Pete Alonzo not that long ago and have that. I take you, no you credit guys... for that, by the way, <laughs> that just doesn't just happen. Right? That's not magic. <laughs> yeah. We, we do, we have a pretty big podcasting operation as well at fish stripes, wherever you get your podcast. So I host my episodes a couple times a week and we have others on our staff that do as well. And Every now and then we have some splashy guests as well. Yeah. So fishstripes.com is where we make sure to have the links to all that stuff. But yeah, we try to branch out to almost every platform you can think of from the podcasting to YouTube, to Instagram that, yeah, we have a pretty big presence there. Um, and, and love to engage with people, even if they're not Marlins fans loving to uh, like have some good hearted bant like banter and uh, just messing around with anybody that's passionate about baseball. All right, Chris, what is your music pick for this week? So I, I believe I'm not repeating. I'm, I'm definitely repeating a band, but I'm, I don't think I'm repeating an album here. Uh, but I, I've really just been addicted to VOCs or OCs or whatever the current iteration of the name is. It, currently, it is just OCs. Spotify was kind enough to group them all into one. <laughs> yes, it's you know, very helpful. One one place. Um, so I don't, let me, before I say it, let me no, just I, check. I, I, I'm looking. So if you repeat it, I'll let you know shortly. Okay. So the album face stabber, which is a, that nice was your pick in episode 21. It was. Yes. Okay. All right. So there's, but there's been two that have been on constant rotation. Uh, did I already do smoke reverser? I don't believe so. Let's see. Hold on. No, you did not. Okay. So yeah, that one. <laughs> they, but they go they go hand in hand. Um, they're you know I don't know if they're officially linked, but uh, even their album art sort of has some similarity to it. And uh, yeah, the, these two records I've, I've really gotten to fully appreciate more. I've been addicted to them. My wife is like uh, you know she likes them too, but like you've really been listening to a lot of OCs and yep, that is true. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what I like about both records, um, there's just, uh, there's a very cool ability that they have, uh, that I think is really well showcased on, on this one too, where it's just, 
to me, the drumming is very complex. Um, and then a lot of what's going on on, you know, on guitar is not that complex or anything, but it's just so well executed. I mean, having seen them live a couple times, um, and, you know, doing these live sets that they've done during the pandemic, uh, for streaming purposes, they're just, they are a tight band. So to take certain things that you, when you look at it, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I can see what, I can see what they're playing. Um, but to be able to take those ideas and, and make them into like the songs that they do, they do and to execute them that way. And then to just sort of blend from like full on punk speed stuff to, uh, there are points that, you know, some of their guitar work reminds me of the Almond Brothers, which is just a very, you know, very different feel from like heavy, fast songs to be able to weave that stuff together in, in one album and, and do it that well. Uh, that's a pretty special skill to me, you know, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I, I love their versatility and they've made a bunch of records that sound nothing like each other. And that's also cool. But there's just something about the OC sound that, that I'm particularly hooked on where at, stitching those things together it just seems like a very hard thing to do to me. And uh, and I, I respect the hell out of it. And I also enjoy listening to it a lot. So, yeah. Smoke Reverser. The song C is the third track. is probably like the, the catchiest, most accessible song on the record. But... Um, you know, when you when you have some time, anybody out there, it's not the longest record or anything, but when you've got some time to just sit down and hit play and just let it all go through. First time I heard it, it didn't hook me. Um, hundredth time I've heard it probably at this point, I absolutely love this record. So give it a shot. OCs is is chasing King Giz for the most recommended that you've done on the show. <laughs> it, it actually probably nice. now that I'm looking at it, it may have they may have surpassed King Giz at this point. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been, it's been a go to. There's a couple of records coming out in the coming weeks that will be other bands, I promise. But <laughs> but that's where I am. Hang on a second. I'm I'm, I'm doing uh, sorry. You've select you have recommended. Uh, let's see, five King Giz records and. Looks like I think five uh, OCs records. All right. Yeah. So you're 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 tied up. No. Uh, six OCs. OCs are our head, our head of the leaderboard. But they have something like twenty three, twenty four albums. So, yeah. So you know, <laughs> lots more to go is the point. Um, yes. All right. So uh, for my pick, uh, this goes back to something I wanted to talk to. Our new friend, he wouldn't call us that, but I'll call him that, Brian Baker, about, which is that uh, Brian Baker of Bad Religion is a huge fan of Aerosmith and early, like, 70s Aerosmith. And when I was in, let's call it fourth grade, I decided that Aerosmith was my favorite band and got really into Aerosmith for, like, five years or so. Um, And I always liked the 70s, like, bluesy rock stuff way better than the, the current 90s at that time, 90s stuff. 
Um, and then I, I sort of didn't listen to Aerosmith for like 15 or 20 years because I thought they weren't cool. And while they certainly are not cool, I have gone back in the last couple of years and really, really gotten back into some of the 70s stuff. And one of the things that I do with bands that I like is I always try to listen to the album or albums that everybody says are not the best ones. And I try to find the good points of those albums. And sometimes you wind up with an album that people have, you know, uh, to me, really missed the mark on. And that is an album I want to talk about today. It's the last Aerosmith album that had Joe Perry on it until the 80s, like the mid-80s. Um, it's called Night in the Ruts, which is uh, a terrible album title, uh, which is an Aerosmith, like, Aerosmith will make any cheap dick joke they can. So <laughs> you take right in the nuts, you reverse the letters, and it's night in the ruts. It's hilarious, guys. This is what they do. Um, <laughs> but this album has some incredible guitar playing on it. The interplay between Joe Perry and Brad Whitford is the thing I love most about Aerosmith. But specifically on this album, they do a lot of really, really great stuff. And then Perry quit like halfway through the recording of this. And so there are other players who come in and finish stuff. And you would think that that would make for a really disjointed album, but this is like, this is one of the more consistent Aerosmith records. And um, there's a couple of songs in particular that are just uh, among my favorite Aerosmith songs. There's a song called Chiquita that has this incredible riff that then... Uh, horns come in on top of it, and it's just it's 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 really really great. But the the two songs in particular is a song called um, Three Mile Smile," which has an insane guitar solo, which was uh, by this guy Jimmy Crespo, who wound up replacing Joe Perry for a couple of years. It's one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. It's just really. It does everything I want in a guitar solo, which is that there are parts of it that you can sing along to that are really melodic. There's parts that you don't... You're listening to it the first time, you're saying, I don't know how he's playing that. There there are parts that are really surprising in the guitar solo, whether it's just he's doing uh, an unexpected thing on the guitar or the band changes what they're doing behind the guitar solo. It's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing guitar solo. And uh, there's also a song called uh, Think About It, which is a Yardbirds cover that I really, really like the way Aerosmith plays it. Uh, again, they are like the least cool band in the universe. Their lyrics are oftentimes really shitty sex puns. Um, but the guitar playing on this album is among my favorite guitar playing of all time. And uh, like I said, Brian Baker is a big Aerosmith and Joe Perry fan, and I wanted to ask him about it. And I actually DM'd him on Twitter about this, and he said, next episode. So that means he's nice. willing to come back, which is uh, <laughs> that is good, which is good. Yeah. So um, Night in the Ruts by Aerosmith is my pick this week. Nice. I, I liked that. Uh, no surprise. The first track, a uh -huh. track they use a Z in surprise. <laughs> yes. At the end, you know, a little edgy there. Um, <laughs> but I should take the recommendation because they, they are, I, I think Alice Cooper has some similarity in, in, in this sense that it, you know them for something, but they also made a lot of music that might actually be good. Um, yes. I would say start with the album rocks, which is their most acclaimed album. That yeah. album is nearly flawless, but this one is, again, I, I, maybe this is just like the, um, 
the shithead hipster in me that like <laughs> likes to like the one that isn't the favorite one. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. I, you know, uh, I still love Rocks, and I think Rocks is the superior album, but I, I really like this album a lot too. So, yeah, yeah. The uh, one other relatable thing, and just that same concept was that one of the Pearl Jam shows I saw, they played ten start to finish to start a show, which. Uh-huh. 98% of Pearl Jam fans are like, oh my God. And like, I like that record, but I was like, oh man, I wish it was Yield. Like- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if Pearl Jam played no code front to back, I would lose my shit. So yes. I, I yeah. understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate it as always. Uh, make sure to go to amazingavenue.com for all your Mets needs. Make sure to follow Amazing Avenue on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Please, uh, wherever you get this podcast from, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, subscribe to it, rate it, review it, whatever you can do to help us uh, get more people to listen. We truly appreciate. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.